In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. A few years ago, I was able to visit Rome. It was my first and so far only trip there. And one of the things that was at the top of my list of things I really wanted to do was to visit one of the catacombs. You may know the history of the Christian catacombs. In early years of the first Christians living in that area, it was illegal to be buried as a Christian in the city limits of Rome. And so all around the outer city limits of Rome, people were buried underground in catacombs and caves, sort of. And so we made our way uh, barely through a public bus, and I speak no Italian, <laughs> to the outskirts of Rome and found the catacombs of Priscilla and were able to take a tour down underneath there with a handful of other people from all around the world and several thousand bones. <laughs> Christians, fellow believers, The catacombs are are known for their images because early on Christians would go to the catacombs and visit their beloved dead, just just like we might go to a cemetery or we might go close to our columbarium and remember those we've loved and have lost. And so people would go into the Christian catacombs and to remind them of their faith, to celebrate the hope and the resurrection, um, they began to place symbols of the Christian faith all around the catacombs. And so there, even today, one can see um, crosses and one can see the earliest image of Jesus as the good shepherd. And as you might imagine, there are a number of images that show Lazarus. Lazarus from today's gospel, Lazarus from our lower middle window over the altar, Lazarus who is raised from the dead. Now in the catacombs, mostly from about the second and third centuries, um, the image of Lazarus is usually shown with Lazarus and Jesus. Um, Jesus does the resurrecting, Lazarus is the resurrected, that's it. But about the fourth century, as people began to, um, to write religious stories on, on wood and other images, and, and the whole tradition of iconography begins, um, icons such as our Stations of the Cross or our icon of the Trinity in the Memorial Chapel, um, with icons, people were somehow freed to portray more of the story. And so no longer is the raising of Lazarus shown as just Lazarus and Jesus, But all of a sudden, Mary and Martha begin to be pictured along with them. And then before you know it, the disciples are shown as well. And then also a crowd of people. And there's a wonderful image that begins to show up in the iconography, a little like Martha in today's gospel. One of the people, sometimes one of the women, is holding her nose because of the stench of Lazarus, who has been dead now for four days. It's an image to remind us that Lazarus indeed died, and he was very, very dead. The writer Sylvia Plath has a poem in which she imagines the crowd stepping forth to see what all this is about. They sort of peer into the, the cave tomb, and they're, they're curious, like any crowd. They, they want to be a part of the spectacle and see what this latest thing is that Jesus has done. 
I love the way she captures it in a sort of April Fool's Sunday kind of way. She writes, The peanut-crunching crowd shoves in to see. Shoves in to see them unwrap me, hand and foot, the big strip tease. Gentlemen, ladies, these are my hands, these are my knees. The story of Lazarus comes at the end of Lent in many ways to prepare us for Holy Week. It has drama, it has compelling characters, it has a a longer than usual gospel. And so we're, we're getting conditioned for the passion narrative on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. But I think in particular, this story of the raising of Lazarus can teach us a lot about living this day, living this week, living this life, especially as we encounter death and hope for new life. Sometimes when we hear the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, we can hear it a little like those earliest Christians portrayed it in the catacombs. It's, it's something that happens only between two people, Jesus and, and Lazarus between one human being and his or her understanding of God. And maybe that's the way it makes sense to you. Um, Perhaps religion itself is a very private thing for you. You keep it to yourself. It's a a well-kept secret between you and God, and no one on the streets would ever mistake you for being a Christian. Many of us are like that. This story of the raising of Lazarus can be psychologized or over-spiritualized. It can simply suggest that, well, perhaps Lazarus was just ill, and, um, or maybe he had a vision of Jesus coming to him. Maybe he was healed and his healing was, was experienced in such a way that people thought of it as a new lease on life. The older I get, the more room I have for taking things more literally. (laughs) Things make more sense to me sometimes in a more concrete way. I think the gospel and life itself suggest a more literal and a more crowded picture of this raising of Lazarus. It's more in keeping with those icons of the 4th and 5th centuries, those, those pictures that show Jesus and Lazarus, but also Mary and Martha and the, the crowds of people standing around them. Uh, stories and communities of people that are rough around the edges, disorganized and often smelly. <laughs> this is where God meets us in our humanity. It's precisely in these places that we too can feel like we get lost in a cave or a, or a hole or a, 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 an abyss of some sort. And God approaches in some way or another and we hear a faint voice and then we hear it a little stronger and we hear our name come out, come into daylight, live again. We're pulled into new life. Yes, by Jesus, but not only by Jesus, but but Jesus working among those we love, family and friends and community and all of them. Those caves can look very different depending on who we are and what our lives are like. Sometimes they are dark and desolate. We feel like we've lost hope. We can feel like we're living in the cave, even in a crowded room that's full of noise and people. 
Sometimes in what looks like a happy family, we can be in a cave ourselves. Inside we feel lost. Inside we feel like a part of us is dead or a part of us is dying. Earlier I used a few lines from that Sylvia Plath poem, but I did so almost disingenuously because I found the three or four lines that are sort of funny and sound a little bit light in the context. But the poem is anything but light. The poem is very much the depths of Good Friday. It's filled with dark and deathly images as Plath recalls her own suicide attempts, as she frames her own experience using images of the Holocaust, and she describes much more the pain and the misery and the confusion of death without revealing so much as a crack in which light can break in. For her, there seemed to be no light, and it would only be a year after writing this poem that Plath, in fact, took her own life. It's dangerous stuff. It's real stuff, these caves that call us in. But God calls us out. God calls often and frequently. God says, Lazarus, come out. Whoever you may be, whatever your name may be, even if you've forgotten what your name sounds like to God, God says, come out. However dark the cave may seem, there is light and there is light for you. God sometimes sends his holy angels to help us. Sometimes they're disguised as the oddest people. Sometimes God sends a stranger or even someone who's slightly annoying. Or sometimes God sends a doctor or a specialist, the the most predictable and least predictable all at the same time. Or sometimes God sends a neighbor who just invites us to walk outside or go for coffee. Maybe God sends a televangelist or an infomercial or the side of a bus or an advertisement. God works in mysterious ways to call us to life, and we should never close ourselves off to anything or anyone. And yet there's a role we play too, isn't there? Just like for Lazarus, I suppose he could have turned the other way. He could have just curled up and stayed asleep, chosen a way of darkness, a chilly coldness, but at least he knew it, at least it was familiar, and he didn't have to risk something new. But instead, Lazarus stood up, He got up and and got out, and sometimes that's what we're called to do, to, to use energy we didn't know we had and respond to God's invitation. One of my favorite books is by a Southern writer, Walker Percy. It's called The Second Coming. Maybe some of you have read it. There are parts of it that come with a a PG rating, (laughs) but it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And in this book, the main character, Will Barrett, decides that he's, he's had enough of life. He's lived a good enough life, and he's done. He's just done. 
There's no one to look after anymore. He's fulfilled all of his duties in life. He's bored and he's tired and he can't really see any point to going on. And so he decides that he'll put God to the test. He has just enough faith to try to test God. And so Barrett decides to go into a cave. And he goes with minimal provisions. And he goes into this cave and waits. He sits there and waits. He waits for God. If God exists, Barrett says to himself, then God can save him. If not, then he'll die. And so off Will Barrett goes and he sits and waits and sits some more. But then he begins to feel something in his mouth. And then it begins to be more painful. Finally, it's a toothache that becomes such a blindingly painful thing that Barrett eventually climbs out of the cave. (laughs) And so stumbling along in the woods out of the cave, dazed and confused and in incredible pain, he meets a young woman who's got worse problems than him. She's a schizophrenic named Allie. In her own way, she too has already come out of a cave, but just maybe the first step out of a cave. She's recovering, and, and together they befriend one another, and they help each other go forward. They, they help unbind one another. They, they take off all those things that would restrict and hold back and force them back down into the cave, and they, they lead one another into new life. The raising of Lazarus gives us a foreshadowing that we too will be raised. We're raised in small ways and large ways. You've heard me say before, I think that's one of the reasons this window is put into this church as a reminder that that the resurrection is not just for the holy at the end of their lives, but, but there are resurrections and it's available for all of us if we receive the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. This story makes another, perhaps even more important point, that even in the cave, God is there. Even in the cave, Jesus is with us. Even in the dark, God calls and sends help to unbind us, to free us, and to bring us again into new light. There's a wonderful 6th century hymn that invites us to to come into the open, uh, to move toward Bethany where Lazarus was raised and move on toward Jerusalem. It suits this day. It sings an invitation, let us depart the mere material world, which is always in a state of flux, and hasten to meet Christ the Savior in Bethany. Let us then dine with him and with this friend Lazarus and the apostles, so that we may by their prayers be delivered from our past sins. If we cleanse every stain from our hearts, we shall see perfectly his divine resurrection, which he offered to us when he took away the tears of Mary and Martha. May we allow Christ to wipe the tears out of our eyes so we too can see resurrection light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.